Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi. Jesse? Hi. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Becky Taylor Gill. The bitch is back. Let's all go around and say one thing that we missed about Becky. (laughs) The chaos. (laughs) I was thinking about this and I was like, I miss, and I think this is, we'll get this today, the way that when you're about to say something serious, your voice goes up a little bit higher. (laughs) Wow, I've actually never noticed that before. Is that a BTG? It's going to make so, so many traits. serious points. Wow. <laughs> I feel like we might get some. Yeah, I think it is a BTG. Guys, I've not been here since before the World Cup final, thanks to laryngitis. Isn't that crazy? Oh my God, that oh, yeah. feels like a lifetime ago. I know. Did you get, obviously, laryngitis was a bit of a setback, but did you get the hot girl summer that you'd set out for pre World Cup? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. The short answer. Yeah. Well, maybe like for the camera pressed after dark. That's not. Becky's only Those stories are not ones that are pod appropriate, unfortunately. And um, you went to Conti Cup last night. Oh God, did I go to Conti Cup last night? And you know what? God, I love it. It's just the best thing ever, isn't it? I had such a good... I ran into two separate... Separately, in at two different times on my journey to Daggers. Ran into two friends that I haven't seen in a while. And I was like, tonight's just got a good feel about it. And then I had a curry pot noodle at the football. And Jesse didn't know that it was my first time at Daggers. My first yeah, pot sorry, noodle Yeah, I thought you Daggers. had already been. No. Now I understand why you were extra excited. Why I was texting you like, I'm going to get a pot noodle. Yeah, well, I just, you know, thought, that's normal. Yeah, I do just text you updates about my day. Well, so. and I would do the same. And I've been for many pot noodles at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. It was Stadium. amazing. Was it cold enough for a pot noodle? Sometimes yeah, I feel well, like it, was it needs to be a certain temperature. Very rainy and like, you know, quite windy. Although I was under the thing so I didn't get soaked um Kate did get soaked it was disgusting the only time it didn't rain was the 15 minutes of half time um <laughs> and Charlton they lost they did lose but they played so well they played so great the first 20 minutes first half an hour was like one-way traffic Charlton um and I gave it the big one when they scored I was like up on my feet in the stands like surrounded by West Ham fans like yes um there was like quite a few Charlton fans actually there and then West Ham made some changes at halftime and came back unfortunately and I was robbed of a Conti Cup group stage penalty shootout which I did say to Kate afterwards and she was like I wouldn't have been any use like my legs are and I was like Kate would you have taken one 
And yeah, she I think she's like, bigging no. herself up. There. She's <laughs> like number eleven. <laughs> why are we? Why is it that Kate always loses when we can't watch her? Yeah, I. But she did say I could come back because they played much better. Um, okay. I think maybe a three strikes and you're out rule, but I'm definitely out at that point though. But I'm going to go to Lewis Charlton. They've put that on. That's at they've Lewis. moved that from yeah because it was over the bonfire mm. night. And obviously in Lewis, they like close the whole town. So they put it on fr- Friday night. <gasps> oh, can I come? Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh, that yeah. sounds so fun. Okay. I think it'll be good. And they can beat and Lewis. And Lewis are rubbish. Shit. Well, yeah. I know, but this is the ultimate but then test. And we'll also, really find out um, if we're But Lewis luck. beat Palace on penalties yesterday in the Codd yeah. Cup. But, <laughs> but I said that. So I, what I really loved about Daggers, actually, and I've never experienced this at a women's football game before, is at half time and at full time, the announcer read out the other Conti Cup scores. Mm. And I loved that. Because mm. I was like, that is such like a classic, like a uh, Premier League 3pm kickoff. You'll get that. I've never had that women's football and I at really f- enjoyed it. At full time, did he mention who'd won on penalties? So Because that would have been complicated. I think the other, pre- the other penalty shootout must have been ongoing because he said there was a draw, but he didn't say the penalties. And then when right. he got to Lewis Palace, he said... Um, what was it one all um, I think there was also a penalty shootout in the London City Lionesses game that Tim Stillman was at did you see his tweet no. about this was really funny so he went to go watch London City Lionesses oh about the tango yes so that is such good so Conti went, Cup lore he went to go get a beer at the obviously like you know bar bit inside at this whatever stadium they play at where is it again Jesse, uh, Prince's you know. Park and Dartford. Dartford, that's it. Anyway, uh, he encyclopedia went... of, <laughs> of South, championship South teams. London <laughs> football. He went to the bar to get a drink and he accidentally interrupted a Wednesday night tango class. Now, <laughs> what he should have done is gone fully into Conti Cup madness and joined for Well, he time. did enjoy his madry yeah, but he should have been while dancing it was going on. And disappointed that he didn't get involved in the tango. Also enjoy that they're serving madry and there's a tango class going on, just like channeling that Spanish vibe, That's real you Spanish know? vibe, yeah. <laughs> Famously Spanish beer, Madrid. Very Spanish. Dartford, Tango, Madrid. It's what dreams are made of. And um, Perfect Conti Cup night. There was a penalty shootout and, and that's all, all you could ask for. So the Conti Cup is well and truly back. On today's show, though, we're going to be chatting a little bit about Manchester United's first leg UEFA Champions League qualifying game against PSG that was on Tuesday night. And we're going to get into talking about the Beckham documentary that's just come out on Netflix. I'm sure lots of you have watched that and have some thoughts as well. So we're going to chat all about that after this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Manchester United drawing one all at home with PSG. It was a very... um, 50-50 game in the end. I thought PSG were really strong in the first half, probably wasted a few chances, ended up taking the lead in the second half. But Manchester United really got back into the game. Those substitutions made all the difference and you know, importantly sort of kept the tie open for them as they've got to do the away leg next week. Jesse, what did you make of this one? Because it felt like to me that 
Mark Skinner, if he'd only sort of played the team that ended up finishing the game, maybe he would have given his team a better chance of winning this first leg. But they end up making life a little bit difficult for themselves, but they are still in it. Yeah, obviously, when JC came on, that kind of changed the game. Skinner said afterwards that he could only play it for 45 minutes because she'd got a dead leg. Yeah. And he obviously chose the second half. That's kind of fair enough. I do wonder if when you saw the impact that JC had, there were players similar to her who we assume might have been able to play earlier in the match but who knows which I think would also have had a similar effect on PSG I think generally PSG are a team who especially obviously they Oriane Jean-Francois to go off um she's unfortunately partially ruptured at ACL but like Claire Hunt obviously came on that just defensively they are a team who can be a bit rocky and it just felt like United kind of shot themselves in the foot in starting what was ultimately quite a defensive lineup with Jade Riviere coming in to sort of play on the right wing, which was a very, personally, I thought was a very strange choice. Um, and again, Lisa Nuzlan playing as well. Just felt odd for me to like disrupt the team so significantly when we're so early on in the season, especially when Skinner's not someone who normally does that. And yeah, PSG probably should have run away with this one, but they didn't. Sometimes in these games, you need a little bit of luck to go on your side. And United, I thought, were the much better team in the second half. JC, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. We'll say it didn't really look like she'd had a dead leg, given how energetic she was. But the only thing that I worry about for United is that second leg's at Parc de Prance. And I kind of feel like they maybe had to win mm. at mm-hmm. home to put themselves in a like really good position for that match. I have an admission to make for the listeners as I talk about this game. So that you've got all the information, I want to be up front. Totally missed the PSG goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were in your own world. You just were like do- dottering around and didn't realise. Explain how you realised PSG had scored. <laughs> I realised they'd scored because when United scored, the commentator said, and oh, there's the equaliser. <laughs> and I looked at the scoreline and I was like, hold on a second. And then I text. Were you just on TikTok or what? So I'll explain what happened. Um, but I, and then I text Jesse and was like... When did when did that happen? And they were like, like 20 minutes ago. Like I had just completely been in my own world. Basically, I don't know if anybody is deeply on TikTok. I spend a lot of my life on TikTok. And at the moment, there's like a load of different like trends. And it's like a game and it's a filter. And you have to get a sheep down some <laughs> stairs into like a hallway. And it's really hard. And I had spent like probably like 10, 15 minutes trying to do this. Did you do it? I did do it, yeah. Have you got so the video? Worth it? Uh, it might be on my TikTok drafts. Yeah. Can we post it? Well, I was <laughs> yeah, going to say, does it, it. does it also have funny sound effects like when you're doing no, it? What? No. Just concentration. That's it's so effects. boring. Yeah. And, and I did it and it was great. But I think that must have been in that bit where no, I was really understandable. Exactly, yeah. um, I also have a bone to pick with Man United for paywalling <laughs> oh, this game mm. which I just think Well I texted you in the morning so and I was so convinced it was pathetic. free because on the on their website they didn't mention anything about paying it just said mm. on, the, on the link to the game on, online where they said like information for this match it said the game will be available on MUTV at blah 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 nothing about paying for it nowhere it's so crazy that they were like we can't show this game because we haven't got the rights and then everyone was like um yeah you fucking do you idiots and then they were like oh okay you have to pay for it like, i can't just believe grip. that it's just that it's the biggest game in your club's history can you not just cough up a little bit of money to cover the broadcast and, and i wonder how many people it? actually pay for it that paris fc wolfsburg game oh yeah was 
wild. It was so good. I turned it on and it was already one all. I turned on like 10 minutes in and I was like, what is going on? I would love it if Paris FC got through. I just think that would be so fun. Yeah, that would be fun. What's also really annoying about the MUTV thing, and this is obviously why they did it, is that they get to keep all the revenue. That's why they've done it, because they think, oh, we can maximise our payday because this is our fully owned rights for this, so we're going to try and cash in. I would have paid for it on the PSG stream out of spite to United. <laughs> like, why are you doing As this? As you should have done. But As then the PSG have to pay United, so then it would have gone full circle. But at least you'd get French commentary. Exactly, True. I could practice my French, which I did for the Paris FC so stream. did I. I watched it in French as I well. It was so good. I it was it. good. Was it uh, the commentators were really good. Yeah, but also he was, I mean, obviously it's probably good that he was, but he was really excited for like the third Wolfsburg goal. His commentary was really excited. I was like... He was generally quite an excitable man. Yeah. I was feeling good. I was like, wow, I understand. I was going to say, how much were you understanding? Well, I mean, it's like a certain... Football commentary is quite good, I find, language-wise, because you don't use as many words, I don't think, as you would in normal conversation. There's like a certain box of words about football that can be used. And people also naturally talk quite clearly and quite, Mm. not like slow, but slower than you Mm. would in like rapid-fire conversation. Yeah, I recommend it if anyone's learning a... Language. To I try do, out some football commentary. I do sometimes watch like Frauen Bundesliga or German Champions League game highlights with German commentary, but then I put it in 2.0, so then it's just gibberish because <laughs> you got they're speaking so oh, quickly. So. You've got to turn the commentary off. I know, I know, I know. But like if I'm trying to practice, I think it would just drive me a bit insane. But let's jump back to United's game because I think there was a, a, quite a lot of criticism from United fans about that starting lineup. And like you say, Jesse, it's especially weird with someone like Skinner who usually doesn't make a lot of changes, but suddenly in this massive game was like, oh, I'm going to completely sort of adjust my midfield and it didn't really work at all. He makes those changes, rescues the game. But United fans in general, I think, were a little bit frustrated because it felt like such a missed opportunity at home in this massive game. And you're sort of giving PSG the advantage in this tie over two legs. Yeah, I think missed opportunity is a bit strong because they drew 1-1 with a team which has a lot more sort of Champions League experience and is arguably potentially has like more talent, I would say, in areas of the pitch, certainly in attacking areas. I feel like when you're able to bring on, okay, I know she's come back from her ATL, but someone like Katoto onto the pitch, she's kind of washed, but you've got someone like Lika Martins playing, you know, like... <laughs> wow. Lika Martins Leave basically... Leave alone. Yeah, but she's like effectively, you know, destroyed Chelsea to win Barcelona in their first Champions League. Like, she knows what she's doing, even if she is, you know, a little bit past it, maybe. Um, Ramona Backman, any words? Uh, well Ramona Backman versus Hannah Blundell that is Chelsea Football Club heritage (laughs) did enjoy that so yeah I wouldn't say it was like a missed opportunity necessarily I just felt like it was one of those things where it almost felt like you'd overthought it and potentially sticking a bit more with what they knew and okay maybe you couldn't start JC but having someone even like Nikita Paris or Rachel Williams who was just gonna like run around and have that stronger presence up top that JC was able to have when she came on. I know Luthia Garcia has sort of played in that nine role, but I don't love her there. And I think you lose a lot from her when she does look good on the wing. United stayed in the game ultimately, and that's what they needed to do. And they were a bit lucky with how they did that, I think, at points. But then PSG got a bit lucky in some of the way they defended as well. Were you impressed slash 
surprised at how good PSG were because I feel like last season in the Champions League, obviously they didn't have Kototo, but they were quite dull to watch. I think about that match against Wolfsburg specifically, which was a bit of a stodge fest. Like, were you actually quite impressed with how good they were going forward? Because I th- I feel like I've watched them in Champions League and seen them create very little, but they looked a lot better going forward on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously they brought in Tabitha Trewinga and she looked really good. She obviously scored the goal. She's someone who totally scored goals for fun, basically, at Inter Milan and I think will have, like, a big impact there. And the other player who I think is always someone you can kind of rely on to bring a bit of chaos is Sandy Baltimore. And obviously, sort of last year, she was kind of in and out of the PSG team. She'd fallen out of favour with Pressure, who obviously isn't there now, but his son's there, so that's all a bit weird anyway. Um, I didn't think PSG looked amazing either I just think they've got a set of attackers who can really just put players on edge with their sort of ability in 1v1 situations and I think United defensively are especially at the moment I think struggling with dealing with those longer balls we obviously saw Stina Blackstenia score the opener in the game against Arsenal from Hannah Blundell like getting her run all wrong from a longer ball the goal the PSG goal comes from this you know ball over the top Defenders let Trewinger run through them and Erps kind of gets caught in no man's land. Such um, a good ball though from Baltimore. Like that, I think like the just the weight of it and the way it just dropped perfectly was so impressive. Whereas obviously the Stina one, I bet like it was a bit more of a sort of not hit and hope, but do you know what I mean? Like you're driving it into space and hoping Blackstenius gets there and Blundell kind of messes up her run. But the Baltimore one was almost like a, you know, a chip in golf. It just like landed so perfectly on her plate. Yeah, but I think both of them sort of show that United's defensive line seem like they're struggling mm. to know exactly where to position themselves in order, whether it's to play those runners offside, whether it's in order to be able to close them down. So, yeah, I think, like, obviously the ability of players to do that, like PSG have always had players like that. It's just as a whole, they can they can look very, very stodgy sometimes. But also, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> You can say the same about United. They've got great players, but sometimes they look very, very stodgy. And I think that was true definitely in the first half of this match. Defending is dead, Mum. It's dead. You should have watched Paris FC versus Wolfsburg. You <laughs> <laughs> think the defending That's in the United I mean. game was yeah. bad? Like, that, that was, you were loving that. Oh, I, it was great. What I can't remember anything about it now. It was just. Well, you sent a text being like, oh my God, it's already like 2 0 or so something. Chaotic. Within five That's minutes. why it's just a blur to me. Some strange goalkeeping from Nando. The goalkeeping, yeah. like at the start of this season, has been truly atrocious. It's been real bad. We need to fix it. We need to fix it ASAP. Uh, right. So that's a bit of a Champions League recap. Let's talk about Netflix's new Beckham documentary next. Well, first things first, what do people think of the Beckham doc? I only want a supercut of everything that involved the Spice Girls. That's all I care about. There wasn't enough Spice Girls content. I loved Mel C being in it. Becky literally texted me saying like, oh, thank God Mel C's turned up. As if she was at a party. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really enjoyed the fact that it said full name, Melanie Chisholm. And then it said job. Spice Girl. <laughs> like, cool. oh no, or it said Sporty Spice maybe underneath. Like, that is so good. Not like pop star, former member of the Spice Girls. It's just. It does Sporty make Spice. sense that she would be the one 
interviewed as Sporty Spice. Yeah, yeah. she's the authority. Her opinion. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's the football authority. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Not enough Spice Girls content, and actually could have had more Victoria Beckham content oh. for me. Yeah, I think what became so clear is that she definitely has been the driving force and is the charisma in that partnership and has led to the success and the brand Beckham and everything around it. And he's sort of just this He's man. just Ken. He's just he, Ken. Oh my God. He is so just Ken. Wow, she is Barbie. <laughs> yeah. She's very, I wouldn't say she's like, Charismatic isn't really the word for it, but she's just very someone. Whenever I was watching her, I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, the Vogue 20, 20 questions or whatever. It's yeah, the video yeah, she yeah. does and she's just walking around mm. and she's like so deadpan. And she's kind of like that in the dock, but like you, you still can't like take your eyes yeah. off her. She's, she's, it's she's a really weird. She's got the X factor. Yeah, but it's weird, isn't it? Because it's, you know, sometimes you see people and they're just like, they're really funny and they seem like really warm and you're like, yeah, I'd love to spend time. It's not like that. No, she <laughs> comes across extremely cold, but also hilarious and I want to see more of her. But she terrifies me. I think what sums her up is when they're talking about the wedding and she's like, they're talking about the purple dress and the purple suit. And he's like... I don't know why we did that. It's mm. crazy. And she's like, yeah, but it's fun. I'm like, yeah, mm. yeah, she gets it. Like, it's not serious. Although she kind of comes across quite serious, but then like all the things that she does are like, God, it's not that, it's not that deep, is it? No, I, I liked that. And I also liked the way that she also admitted that the fame was really fun. I think celebrities sometimes create this idea that, you know, they never ask for any of this or it's it's really difficult in their position, which it definitely is. But what I quite liked is her honesty to say that it was really fun being famous. It was really fun having everyone sort of being obsessed with us and having all these fans. And it kind of got to a bit of a messy, stressful point. But I liked the way she was honest about like, I kind of loved being a Spice Girl and being with this hot footballer and everyone loved us. That's like kind of amazing. Is there a more iconic wag? No. And there never will be. There never uh, will be. Please respect Amber Gill. Sorry. <laughs> oh, true, true, That's true. That's just a different category it's altogether. It's a different vibe. I will it's be seated for BT, the Netflix documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a whole different vibe. But to have two of the most famous people in... England at any one time get together and get married is kind of like and that's what makes Jen Beattie and Amber Gill so good and I think we lack this especially in men's football we lack this wags that are famous in their own right Mm. like that is like something of a bygone era like Cheryl Cole Mm. come Mm. on don't you think that that's quite an interesting thing about because I was thinking along these lines but about how sort of like celebrity and paparazzi and like what's acceptable in that world has changed because I was thinking oh like what is the sort of wag equivalent today and I was kind of like oh maybe like Jared Bowen and Danny Dyer and they're both like obviously levels below yeah, I was going to say, please. <laughs> no, but like, but it's interesting, I think, as well, because I also think like there is a recognition that celebrities or famous people, sort of whatever level they're at, have a different thing of privacy. And actually, when they were speaking to the weird paparazzi brothers, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was like, them. why are you interviewing them? It was just yeah. unnecessary. But they were kind of talking about that, like, oh, we wouldn't do this now. Mm. But obviously then it was seen as much I also more. think that like back then... That is how you got information about celebrities. Like celebrities have been able to, with social media, take some of that power back into their own hands and be like, this is what I'm going to share. Whereas before it was paparazzi had to find you and you had to look it up and 
Heat magazine yeah. to find out what was going on. Exactly. There's a really good Channel 4 documentary actually that came out during the pandemic, which is in three parts, which is all kind of about paparazzi culture. And they interview a lot of, they call paparazzo. Is that the plural? <laughs> I think it is. I generally think it is. Well, it sounds like an Italian word. Well, you know, you speak so, Italian. Oh, so so paparazzo would be one, and oh, paparazzi, paparazzi would be oh, so, okay. the plural. So they interview lots of paparazzi um, <laughs> and a paparazzo. And um, in it, they kind of say, you know, they explain that. Um, the value of these pictures is far less now um, because of the celebrities who've taken ownership and they set their own agenda and set their own avatar. And that's very interesting with the Beckhams because now the perception of them on Instagram is very family. It's like, oh, we love you, dad. And like a picture of David Beckham that Victoria will post or whatever. Like it's very much changed in how they own their narrative rather than us seeing everything through the lens of celebrity at that point. A few sort of general things that I really disliked and the paparazzi was part of it. There was way too much sort of tell rather than show. And I feel like that's probably part of the fact that it was for an American audience. So everything had to be explained to within an inch of its life. Like, I mean, I don't think you need to explain famous people and how sort of like the media works but some of those paparazzi things were just so mundane and kind of ridiculous that you like do we really need that and it felt like anyone who got interviewed for this piece made the final edit whether whether it was relevant or not it was like they were going to be in there I think you've pointed out then that's my like biggest ick with it is that it is obviously for an American audience and that it like we know this like or, or like an American audience that aren't really familiar with the football side of David Beckham, I think. But then uh, this is what I found weird was because I almost felt felt like I couldn't figure out who it was made for because I thought it was like even the football stuff, I didn't think they were particularly, they managed to make it particularly clear like, no. oh, the timeline and the accuracy was all over the place. And even just silly things about like whether they're at the 1998 World Cup, like you don't see any of the scores like mm. in any of the mm. game. There's, and with United as well, there's like you really struggle to have a sense of like the team and how big and how central Beckham was to Manchester United being basically the biggest team in the and world. Also that is and also like, that's surely the point. Yeah, and also like the treble, I hate to say it, is obviously like <laughs> the best thing that a football team can do and the only, until recently, team that had ever done it. And I don't think you get, I think like the fact that the treble is just like over in the second episode. Yeah. Like it's just like one episode of like, they won the treble. I just think it's wild. And also yeah. they talk about Beckham in that season, like he was having a hard time. Like he was, like, he was so good. And they create this false narrative that like he was struggling uh, to, to try and create a, a sort of more sense of jeopardy. But lots of people point out on Twitter, like that just simply wasn't true. Mm. Which is also weird because half of the th things that Beckham says in the documentary is I was always really good at shutting off everything yes. that went yeah, on yeah, when yeah. I got on a football match and it is like yes they had to have this sense of jeopardy but he himself is saying like actually I'm so boring it doesn't matter it really like doesn't it really <laughs> yeah, never bothered the, me like the fans singing about that my wife funny. taking it up the ass actually <laughs> motivates me like the woman who offered her the polo, the polo moment is me. so good there's a few good clip outs uh, of, on TikTok of stuff um, something else that really annoyed me was they talk about the 2002 World Cup later on and they don't mention the national crisis of Beckham's metatarsal at <laughs> all and that really pissed me off because you guys what all happened? remember I was on happened? 10 turns back in 2002 about I the metatarsal what genuinely? happened to metatarsal injuries it was such an important part 
part of my childhood. Exactly, that that's what I'm saying. The Genuinely, the UK. Have they solved it? I think they must. The done. UK. Get them on ACLs next. <laughs> the UK was fascinated about this injury, and it happened to Rooney later on as well. And it was where like, is, no! where is you meant to tassel? It's, in, it's your in, your, in your foot. It's in your toe. Little yeah. bones in your toe. We were following him around. The Beckham boot became a thing. I had a Beckham boot when I was at school when I broke my ankle playing netball. Like that became you named a medical boot after David Beckham because it's metatarsal. And we don't get any of that We need cultural... a whole episode on the metatarsal. Genuinely. We should have had a doctor talking head saying, oh, the metatarsal. I just, I texted Carl because I was like, Carl, only you will be able to understand. And he was like, I completely forgot about that. And I said, how can you forget about that? <laughs> yeah, it was that's literally weird. a cultural moment. No, I, it, that resonated a lot culturally with me, don't and worry. And they, they briefly showed a clip of school kids watching the 2002 World Cup obviously because it was in South Korea and Japan and I remember watching it at primary school mm. but it's about five seconds and then they don't do anything about the Brazil game it just kind of glosses over and I think you're right Jesse. it's that sort of like it was just stuck between couldn't work out what it wanted to be like are we going to yeah. talk about football and make it a football thing but then we've got Victoria and then we can't need to talk about the celebrities but then we've got all the talking heads from United who I think worked really well Gary Neville and Roy Keane and Skulls I think featured in it as well they're like that was quite good and then they got Figo and Ronaldo and it gets to the Real Madrid days but it was just so messy and I personally hated the fact that Fisher Stevens aka Hugo from Succession kept butting in so this I was I was drives me say, mad this leads me perfectly onto my next point because he's the producer I did not like him like yeah he was like producer director everything and like just kept just, butting in and he's got such a weird sized head it's such a <laughs> I weird know head you don't really get that from the you documentary but I but googled a picture of him yeah anyone who's watched Succession you must be the only the person thing. who hasn't watched Succession it was yeah. just too much main character and energy. just like, being like oh thanks mate when he like yes. makes me coffee and stuff like that it's like you we don't need that and also just like let them there's some there's some points. Why where is I was he like, so obsessed by by how tidy Beckham's kitchen? Well, was. because he Beckham famously has OCD, but they sort of half talk about <laughs> yeah. it and half don't. Did they talk about it after? Because I've only watched episode one and two. Did they talk about the OCD at all after? Not as far. I haven't finished yet, but I was on episode four and they hadn't talked about it again. Because I I like read it's an like article half... that was like David Beckham opens up about his OCD, and I was like, was that it? Was I think that, that was meant to be it. Yeah, yeah him, that was literally saying, it. him saying he cleans his kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> saying when everyone goes to bed, I get really tidy was sort of it. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't even register it. That's so. F- I've had so I produced something years ago now, and the interviewer called me up and was like, and it actually the the interviewee had OCD as well, and he was like, please, please put this in the edit. He was really, really open and honest about his OCD and I think it's really important. I watched the video back and he was just like, I have OCD. (laughs) I think sometimes like, I don't know if it's men think that like, saying something that that is like, the epitome of like, being like, open and honest about like, your struggles, like just like, naming them. I don't know. (laughs) Mm. I I thought that whole thing was bizarre. Yeah. And they do later on, sort of but not really talk about the Rebecca Lou's affair but they talk around it so it's another thing it's like in pop culture there's been endless rumours about David Beckham Victoria Beckham's relationship whether it's Rebecca Lou's years ago or more modern ones like since then but they just sort of like talk around it without saying yes it did happen or like they sort of it's a bit wink winky a bit like the OCD either do it or don't do it yes either come like make it a spectacle that you want to tune in for and say did it happen did it not but at the end of the third episode they tease it up like you're gonna find out and then it's just like nothing (laughs) it's just like so vague and actually I think 
the documentary is vague across the board because it just sort of tries to breathe through everything but never does anything properly. Something as well that sort of frustrated me but I almost understand why it wasn't mentioned at the same time is they never really talk about Beckham's agent during the time or who helped them cultivate this. And I think that would have been quite interesting, especially because Simon Fuller, who was briefly manager of the Spice Girls, then became David Beckham's agent for many years. They split in 2019 and he was a large part of their fame and their success. And he's one of the biggest agents in the world in music and TV, co-created Pop Idol and American Idol and all those shows. And, that is interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Interesting crossover between like the Spice Girls and like entertainment yeah. and not this guy being a dedicated football agent and how that like works into how famous they were and how he is like the biggest brand. Yeah, because they talk a lot about the brand deals and how he was such a global, he was the first like global football star. But none of that just happens magically. And if you're going to talk about that, I feel like we need to sort of know a little bit more about how the sausage is made, you know? He was fit though. He oh was such fit. a fit couple. Such really a fit hot. couple. Really, really yeah. hot. Like iconic. Yeah. And also it's kind of funny how maybe less so Brooklyn, but all the other kids just look like them so much. Yeah, it's like both of them though. Yeah. Like when yeah. I was watching that, I was like, oh, they are like a they look exactly like both of them somehow. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's proper like genetic like biology at work. It's wild. Science is mad. Science <laughs> is crazy. One thing that I did think was interesting that I thought they did kind of better on the football side was the stuff around the 98 World Cup and then watching it it really struck me how much it reminded me of Lauren James and obviously this idea of having a really good team a team that people thought could win the competition a sort of younger player who'd maybe been in and out of the team but was seen as sort of this like really unique kind of talent who then goes and seemingly fucks it up in the Mm. the first knockout match the parallels well I remember tweeting at the time, like, oh my God, it's exactly like Beckham. And mm. I expected more of a Beckham-like reaction, but obviously women's we football won. just isn't... Well, and well, this is true, it, so, we won. Because yeah, I, but... I was talking to my dad because I was like, obviously all the stuff after just seemed... Again, you know, I think our culture of celebrity has changed so much in that time. I was like, wow, was it like really, you know, like this with all this Beckham stuff? Yeah, my was dad wild. was like, yeah, like, I, you know, I, all the effigy stuff. Like, I remember that like really, really strongly. And then he was saying what he thinks, like, if we had won the penalty shootout, like, people wouldn't have seen it, obviously, in the same way. Because I was like, yeah, it's just really funny because you can kind of, okay, obviously, I don't think Lauren James was the level level of superstar that David Beckham was. But I do think there'd have been a different reaction because she got quite a shit reaction, even though we did Mm, win. And to think about what that might have been like if we hadn't. The way that people talk about her now and that, like, potential reputation that's come from that is Mm. still there. But we did, yeah, somehow. Go but on what and win she it. did was probably worse than Beckham. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, even Simeone, I was saying to Jesse, Simeone is the perfect villain in that. I'm really glad they interviewed him. Oh, he so really, he's so really funny. Good. He really like he's got a real glint in his yeah. eye about it. Still, <laughs> like you know, he loves it. Was it there one point where he sort of talks about like, oh, we're both very good looking men or something <laughs> as well? Oh no, he says that like David they Beckham. were looking forward to it because they were like pretty boys, yes. and the Argentinians were like not. Yeah, and then they. Yeah. Like a cut along, and it's like. <laughs> I also think there's something probably quite reassuring in a way, and quite good that obviously England did with the game. But I think the fact that women's football just isn't on the same scale as men's football was probably a 
bit of a blessing in disguise in that moment because I think if that had been yeah. in a scenario in a men's game, I think even though her, the reaction still, was I quite negative, think, it would have gone like I crazy. I still think that. And also, obviously, she has the added um, disadvantage of being a black woman that mm. David Beckham does who, not have. Who is also, as well, I will say, compared to other England women footballers, a lot more present in the nation's imagination, let's say, because of Reese, because of mm. her brother. Yeah, yeah. Which I think also would have been like an interesting or yeah. like kind of concerning element of what reaction might yeah. have been like. I don't mm. think the reaction would have been, and it's obviously not on the same scale as Beckham, but I don't think it would have been pleasant at all. I don't think that it would have reflected well on us as a country at all either. Mm. Well, just thank God. We'll never know. We will never know. Thankfully. God for Chloe Kelly. It's also, I think, you know, they sort of lean on in the doc in part about how he was such a kind of sexual icon for men and women and for straight people and for gay people. But then obviously there's this sort of like sick irony around the way that David Beckham has spoken since about not really supporting the LGBTQ community, especially around Qatar. And he was interviewed at the premiere and really kind of put his foot in it saying, you know, was asked about his work with the Qatar World Cup and sort of <laughs> really stupidly said that he'd spoken to people in Qatar and they said it was the best and most safe World Cup ever. There was that good David Squires cartoon you found, Jesse. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's just funny because obviously the clip that's gone around Twitter a lot is David Beckham calling out Victoria Beckham for massaging the truth that she was working class <laughs> because... That's a kind way of putting it. <laughs> was driven to school in a Rolls Royce and the David Squires cartoon did the same thing but for Beckham talking about meeting LGBTQ Qataris and it's David Beckham leaning around the door saying, <laughs> who did you actually speak to? It's like, oh, the people the regime like told me yeah, to. Yeah, told me to say um, Yeah, which I did think was good. And it is, I mean, I will say, I think there are two things that are really interesting that come across is one that in the doc, like Beckham's head just, he doesn't seem like the, Sharpest tool in the box. I mean, um, he even says so. Yeah. Which doesn't work as an excuse in terms of like what he then does and says. But I think the other thing that was really interesting is when he's talking about being interested in all this brand stuff and interested in this idea of celebrity and thinking about what he wanted to do after football and that football wouldn't last forever, which made me laugh because then everyone was like, oh, but as soon as he got paid, he'd spend it all like immediately. So I was like, well, you obviously didn't care that much because you were spending all your money. And then the Neville brothers were like, we had a pension. Which <laughs> oh, Phil Neville cute. jump scared by the world. <laughs> yeah, I was like, in, uh, also in into Miami, which I kind of like that because I'm like, oh, I lost that job now. <laughs> um, but then I think, you know, it's something that obviously I thought was really telling because something I think that's very frustrating when footballers and ex-footballers get involved in all of this stuff is just the sense of like, don't you have enough already? Like, why do you then mm -hmm. have to get paid all this money to be an ambassador with Qatar? Which then like is the direct pipeline to you saying stuff like that, he then says. But just also like how telling it was that that need to be in the public eye was something that he felt even sort of as a 20, 21-year-old, mm. you know, breaking onto the scene... And I guess it is interesting, like when he's talking about how Fergie says, oh, like he just wanted him to be the best footballer he can be. And obviously David Beckham like was a sensational footballer and is rightly seen as one of like, you know, England's best ever footballers. But there is a sense that that celebrity did almost overtake him, not because of his like talent per se, but just because that was obviously always so important mm. to him in a way that 
sometimes I think with the people we reflect on as being the best footballers, you get this sense that actually football was always the only thing that mattered. Yeah, when people remember him, will they remember Beckham, the celebrity, or will they remember actually how good he was at football? Whereas a lot of people in that doc say you know, he was one of the best footballers England ever produced. But that has kind of drifted since because we do just think of him as this kind of celebrity figure rather than a footballer. Yeah, I, I don't think that I really think like football is the first thing I think about when I think about him. I don't know why that is. And, and I am, you know, he is a little bit before our adult life. Like we're only kids. Yeah, but when... then it's interesting because one of my earliest footballing memories is going to see Arsenal play United at Highbury. And I remember being so excited at the prospect mm, of seeing Beckham play. Yeah. Because I think even as a kid, obviously you don't have that sense of how good someone is at football. But I, you know, had this understanding that he was the best. The star. He was the is person that, you wanted to see playing in real the, life. Is not the celebrity? Yeah, good, yeah of course. But then I don't know. I think probably as a kid for me, that was just about that was probably about yeah. football. I personally, guys, I have to admit, never was never into the Spice Girls. So wow, <laughs> huge! You find out some real home <laughs> truths on this show. I just didn't. I can't not believe even that. I just wasn't into like pop. Jesse, I really, I really think of you differently after you said that. <laughs> um, but this, my brother, I hope he won't mind calling me out. My brother Theo briefly supported Manchester United. <laughs> just, what? I know. Oh my god! Surreal. That is we, hilarious. We, Jesse wow. never liked the Spice Girls, and my brother supported Manchester United. Sorry, that is so much worse. <laughs> of David Beckham because mm. purely because of David Beckham um, and then he eventually saw the light David Beckham wasn't there anymore and he was like yeah fuck this this is miserable QPR, I'm going back to QPR yeah that's the real light at the end of the tunnel um, but it's like yeah, it was like and I think lots of other people had that same thing and even though I was more of a Michael Owen gal um, but we don't need to get into the specifics <laughs> why but I just thought Michael Owen was great I loved him um, but like David Beckham was yeah just massive at the time I would just like to say that the whole time I was watching this, I was just like, I just have no respect for you anymore. Like, mm. you are so unbelievably rich. And both of you together are like this huge multi-million billion. You um, have everything couple. you could yeah. ever want. Why would you do mm. it? And in that interview before the premiere, he like it's, he can't even say it right. He can't even say LGBTQ. <laughs> it can't even roll off his tongue. And that's when I'm like, why are you talking on behalf of queer people if you can't even get that right? It's the most basic stuff. And you're just lying. It's just lies. And for the sake of argument, let's say that David Beckham was talking to loads of queer England fans who had gone to Qatar and had a great time. That's not even the point. Like, how can you stand there and be like, these queer people had a great time, so that means that everything's fine when same-sex relationships are punishable up to the death penalty in Qatar? How can you stand there and say that and and like feel good about yourself? I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Because you don't need to, mm. you know? Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I can't remember if it was in the second or the third episode, there was a funny moment where David sort of says, um, oh, what I, I really loved, what I really loved about Victoria was that, you know, she had her own um, ambitions and her own, uh, you know, career that she wanted to drive. And then it's sort of like cut to Victoria in the studio trying to record her solo work. And I was like, mm, not sure about that, guys. I don't know. That was kind of a dark time in the, in the uh, Spice Girls multiverse when Victoria Beckham was releasing her uh, solo era. So we'll sort of gloss over that. Um, someone who also comes out of it, I think kind of interesting is, 
David Beckham's dad, where we sort of see this whole sort of pushy parent persona, which is so common in in football because it so often does require a parent to sort of like drive that. But his obsession and determination to make his son a professional footballer and all the videos that he said he had. I liked that they go from like the videos of him taking corners as a kid to the corners that he Mm. took in 99. They replay the same penalty the same corner that he takes in 99 twice and there was a lot of I felt of I don't know if it was the same footage but I did I found it a bit weird the way they like went through his childhood and they used like clips from his childhood in the first episode and the second episode yeah, they, and I was like I thought we'd seen done it yeah they, the, the, the timeline just kept cutting back and then going forward again it got a bit sort of jump cutty and confusing and I also found the music a bit of a distraction because well, it was just like think, intense symphony orchestra but didn't Bizarre. you think also yeah. it was succession yes that's yeah, what it true. reminded me yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know was you like mean, oh yeah. this is the it's the you know big piano with so like dramatic. strings over sort of the like vintagey footage which yeah. did make me I also laugh. didn't like when they projected this, the football onto their faces Yes, their faces were too close to the camera. I didn't need to see everyone's. And it's, it's face a shame because that close up. Like we've, I think like the past couple of years have been a golden age of football documentary, of sport documentaries, and it's like you, like it is an incredible story. As much as I don't respect him, <laughs> like it is an incredible like life and journey that he's been on, and so it's just like, oh, you could have done so much better here. It's like, I mean, maybe nothing will ever live up to the last dance for me, though. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? Everyone's been desperately tr- sort of trying mm. to do To recreate that, that. Yeah. yeah. And nothing will be as, as good as Sunderland getting relegated twice yeah. while they're doing the yeah. documentary. It's just, like, sometimes you just need the luck as well. Although they've got the story already there, so you don't have to kind of... I think with the flow on it. I think what, you know, the kind of stuff that you've pointed out more from production point and also some sort of from that storytelling point, I think that's what makes the difference in those kind of things. Like, I don't think you can just try and recreate a format that you've seen because it works somewhere else. You have to find, like, your own way of, like, telling that story. And I feel like you can tell when people are trying to sort of, like mimic something mm. or even just like insert themselves into it. Yeah. it it all felt like a little bit like Louis Theroux like yes. having to have yeah. yeah it just he just didn't need to be so involved all the and, time I mean I don't know much about his football like um fandom well Fisher Stevens yeah. yeah but I assume that or at least from the way that it's done I assume that he wasn't you know around and and just like him being American like I don't know if he would ever understand what it was like having David Beckham be this big star in England at the time if That's he wasn't here. That's why they here. skipped the metatarsal Exactly. Thing. Genuinely. Maybe he didn't know about the metatarsal. Also, it just things kept annoying me. Um, and I mean, I'm a massive Alan Partridge uh, fan, but there's a scene in Alan Partridge where they're all watching Bond and they start trying to recreate scenes and he goes, stop getting Bond wrong. And I kept watching this thing, stop getting Beckham wrong. You don't understand. You're not doing it right. And I kept feeling like they'd sort of taken what had happened and crafted it into this like weird sort of faux Hollywood tale. Which it doesn't need. Yeah. And that's the thing. It doesn't need that. It's a good story. You just have to, you just have to find a way of telling that rather than trying to make it and that's yeah about the football like making it seem like he was like having a terrible season it's incredible that they won the terrible 
disgusting. Um, it's more interesting almost to expose that kind of the gap between like what was going yeah. on than it is to try and make it out that it was impactful. I'm much more intrigued into that like element of, you know, how does that kind of like natural, how does that mentality come about? How does that allow you to be an elite sports person? How does that affect you in the rest of your life? They you were know? trying I'm sure he's inured from criticism about his relationship with Qatar for exactly the same kind of reasons mm-hmm. that the stuff off the pitch didn't affect him. But like, mm-hmm. There's no attempt to tease that out. I will yeah. say, though, I appreciate them showing everyone how horrible Glenn Hodder was. Yeah. And yes. I am with David Beckham's mum yeah. in when she's like, I'm not even going to call him a man. <laughs> Fisher Stevens, in an interview with GQ, talks about the fact that they did have some footage around Qatar and the controversies of Beckham being involved and decided not to put it in because it felt like it complicated the the story arc and the narrative, which, I mean, I don't believe that Basically, for a second, he's just, but... yeah, he's just obviously... I actually think that that would have been interesting and I would have been more inclined to be like, I really want to watch this. I want to know his reasoning. I want to understand why he did it. Obviously, I think that means that he did not have anything to say that was meaningful about it and it just made him look bad. It mm. didn't give any more information than, yes, this is bad. And I think with like, like with Jordan Henderson in Saudi Arabia, sometimes you just need to take the L and be honest about like, the deal was so good, we wanted to do it, it was the World Cup, like blah, blah, blah. I hate when people try and manufacture... to a bigger house. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's like, I hate when people try and talk around it and make like dig themselves some kind of you know, sanctimonious hole in which it seems fine to do it. Um, And at the end of the day, this documentary is a PR exercise, of course, and they're the ones in control of the narrative. So it's not exactly shocking they're not going to put controversial stuff in. And it's very clear what they decided they, in terms of the controversial side, they did want to talk about, like sort of talking about Rebecca Luz and still stuff that felt too tough in their own minds to talk about. Um, Something I need to get live reaction from Becky. You're talking about Sunderland Till I Die. Mm. Did you know that the man from the scene who plays the, the music? music yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I mentioned the you know Sunderland he's documentary. Back and he's Sunderland. now the owner of Charlton. Fuck off. Oh my God. That's the reaction I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Kate Longhurst's boss. Kate Longhurst's boss. <laughs> oh God, I'm Kate so. Kate Longhurst told us. <laughs> oh my God. Was I not there? No, so there was a big takeover towards the end of the summer. Thomas Sandegard had been there for a while, hadn't gone that well. Danish guy left. And I just saw it was like global, blah, blah, partners. And I didn't realise who it was. And then. Um, Kate told us it's the guy from Silent Till I Die. That is so funny. Yes, he isn't it? came across so badly <laughs> in <laughs> such a hilarious way. I know, and I think that that's iconic. Yeah. And like, okay, fine. I'm interested to see what he does at Charlton. We've got to go to more games. <laughs> We've got to see it. We've got to see it. It's also been interesting as well to see the sort of media reaction to the documentary now, which is quite positive and Jesse we were talking about the fact that so many people have commentated on it who are more like pop culture people rather than football people and don't really know any of the context around Beckham definitely not Qatar and other football things but are just kind of seeing the moments with Victoria and David and thinking it's lols and all these TikTok clips but like the media perception keeps changing of how they're viewed whether that's like now in modern times or at the time so actually, I would really like to talk to like maybe my mum or someone that was around in 98 to be like, before that World Cup, what was the, what what did people talk about when they talked about him? Because I think the sarong specifically is very interesting to me. 
because that was like and it, it moved you. It's, <laughs> it did, it did. it's such big news that David Beckham is out wearing a sarong, and I think that that's like, that headliner headline about him being a crossdresser as well. I was like, <laughs> well, so this Stay is classy. This, well, this <laughs> yeah, is kind of grim. my point is him and Victoria were like at the time, especially him, like kind of like subverting like mm. what people expected of a footballer who maybe before maybe this is the turning point of footballers as like the peak of masculinity and how much and you know Simeone being like they were pretty boys and how much of that reaction is also people kind of being like oh finally I have a reason to be like I don't like you because if he's like the best footballer um and he's you know performing really well but he's doing these things which maybe like the average bloke on the street is like oh why is he wearing a sarong (laughs) that nobody feels comfortable in being like well, I mean, obviously the newspapers were very comfortable in calling me a crossdresser. But I think it's interesting to kind of look at those like societal like beliefs about men and what once people had an excuse to hate him, what they could then say about those things that they really felt before. Yeah, I think there was definitely a sense even in the reaction around the red card of this feeling of like David Beckham thinks he's better than us. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's let the entire country down because he doesn't really care. It just felt like even with like what had happened, if it had happened to like, if Paul Ince had done it for, I mean, maybe then because he was black, there'd have been a whole like different kind of reaction. But like just this sense that, yeah, because he was a pretty boy, it was like, yeah, yeah. It, it, he was somehow in this other world and therefore he didn't get what it meant to really mm-hmm. be an England fan. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get like how important, yeah. like, this was and then that is was obviously pushed on further by Glenn Hoddle just being like yeah he was stupid and he let us down and we'd have like won the World Cup if it wasn't yeah. for him which is just hell- the number of people who are like yeah we'd have won that game we'd have won the World Cup if Beckham had got set off I was like guys like there was a lot of other things that could have <laughs> then continued to happen including still losing to Argentina yeah, yeah. so clear as well that the bits that make him so emotional in his life are just any bits around football like yeah. let you know letting the country down, which was the narrative that was created, really deeply affected him, and is the most emotional. I think he gets in most of the dock was that moment. Later on, I do love when it comes to football, sort of unraveling and getting behind the scandal. I really like the way that they talk about the famous incident where Alex Ferguson kicked a boot at his head. You really get a good inside scoop on that. And I was like, finally, we get the truth of what was another national sensation. Yeah, I feel like anyone else got anything they want to get off their chest around the Beckham dock? Let me see. (laughs) What's on the list? (laughs) I wrote so many things I disliked about it. I was just like, tick, tick, tick. But I would, you know, I would say to people, I think it is worth watching. I don't know if I'm going to finish it because it has at points felt quite hard work. And I think the, episodes are almost too long I feel like you either either put it all in one or you break it up into smaller parts but I don't think it's keeping me hooked and making me want to come back for more I mainly just carried on because we were going to talk about (laughs) it it's like homework more than anything you know rather than thinking I have to finish it I just wanted to say that and I know we kind of touched on this already but he was like such a fantastic footballer I thought you were going to be like he was so fit I thought you were going (laughs) to say Said he's that. so hot. I mean, that's true too. But to have someone who's so good at football and so hot, come on! But like, who's the equivalent? 
Now. Who's so hot and Who's so, so hot and so good at football? I Matthew Leon. I had to be redacted. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, should we all say one and then bleep it? <laughs> I said mine and I'll stand by it. You don't have to bleep it. <laughs> I'll wear it in my chest. Um yeah, but I think that was the thing that I just enjoyed. I was I was sad there wasn't, and maybe this is just because I like football more than I like the Spice Girls. Um <laughs> But I I would have just loved to have seen more football. No, like, more wanks for me. No, I, I want Melby. I want Emma Bunton. <laughs> I just looked at my one notes. Tory Jerry and it was like a load of sentences and then just Melcy. <laughs> that was my whole point. I do. I will say though as well. I also respect Victoria for being like. I didn't like football then. I still don't, don't like football yeah. now. And I yeah. only watched it because he played it. Yeah, and which so is like good. if he painted walls, I'd have watched him paint walls. <laughs> I also did find it funny about how the Netflix thumbnail makes it seem like it's a true crime. Did anyone else get that? <laughs> it's I not also giving wrote, documentary I wrote down architecture digest like there's like <laughs> yes. a whole scene where it's just like i just feel like i'm in an architectural digest video which like i love architectural digest videos of touring celebrities homes yeah but just give me that i don't need this whole documentary the way that they've created their entire like house just to look like soho house is quite disconcerting <laughs> it it's does. like they it just like soho farmhouse it's just like it? too much i'm just like ugh, like you just went there i would know because i'm not a soho house member <laughs> well, don't make it sound like I am yeah, a Soho Jessie. House member. <laughs> I have, I've never been to Soho Farmhouse, but I've seen pictures. Flo has taken us on to Soho Flo's House, so Instagram. <laughs> I treat I treat my friends nicely. What can I say? Um, lots to talk about on that, but it was fun to have watch fun it. editing that together. And, uh, uh, it was fun chatting through. It was fun digesting it. We've got another big weekend of football ahead. Um, Arsenal back at the Emirates. I nearly couldn't remember what was happening this weekend. King's Meadow in front of the big tree. Millie Bright herself. <laughs> and you're not going to be there, Jesse? No, 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 I am going to oh, that you one, are. don't worry. Okay, yeah. fine. It's next week that oh, I might okay. be missing it. Um, where are you this weekend? Are you at home doing Working bits? Working from home. Oh, Come and work from the tolly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to Arsenal. I'm going to Arsenal. Uh, it's my anniversary on Sunday. I wanted to try and do a double header, but been, it. it's been vetoed. Yeah, sadly. Even though she is a gooner, it's just because she's coming back on a train fake that fan. arrives fake at... Fan. She, she is a fake fan. fan. I agree. But she's coming back on a train and the train gets in at two. And I was like, I'll go to the football and meet you after. But no, no, that's... You know, it's not happening. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for coming in, guys. Chatting through Beckham. Of course. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll be back on Monday. See you then.